what a subatomic particle is? Um. No. that goes underwater? Subway? Mm. Mm, I kind of think it's a scientific method of kind of different, a different chemicals stuff. A part? Like that big. That big? How about you? Mm, that big. That big? Do you think they come in different sizes or they're all the same size? All the same size. No, all the same size. You don't think they're all the same size? And then like that, and that. It looks like the same size to me. Yeah, it does, but it's kind of big and kind of small. Are you telling me to just make that one? Yeah, you can make one up. It's about the size of this building. Maybe like five paragraphs or... Batman. A part of your body, maybe? Something in the sky. Uh, it's an article that you read. I think it's like an object. How big do you think a subatomic particle would be? Like about six feet. Like a car? you think people fit in this subatomic particle? Mm-hmm. What do you think would fit in there? Like three or four. I don't know if they're like called emberlins or... Can you tell me what a subatomic particle is? No. This big. Probably like this big. Not this big. Probably about like this big. That big? Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, subatomic particle. Well, it's actually pretty simple. They're uh, elementary or composite um, particles that are smaller than an atom. Um, it can be anything from electrons, neutrons, protons, and Hey, 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 this is interesting, pay attention. Protons, and actually, you know, protons and uh, neutrons, they're, they're made of smaller particles uh, called quarks, and there's different types of quarks, but there are dozens, dozens of subatomic particles that are known to science. Uh, neutrinos, photons, all these things, they're all known, so it's actually pretty simple, really. I do not know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, man, those kids are cute. You know, what we did, we got them in a room and they, they, they thought, oh yeah, we want to be in this video. And they stood there and they got asked that question, what's a subatomic particle? And they were like, what? And, uh, and, and it was just so fun to watch them kind of wrestle through that. But I want to have you think about this. I, I would guess that there isn't a person in this room that doesn't believe in the existence of subatomic particles. I bet we all do. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, we probably say, well, you know what, we understand that some of the greatest technological and scientific breakthroughs that have come, have come in understanding that when the Fermi Institute and the super collider there split the atom, that that, that just started uh, uh, a slew of uh, uh, knowledge that began to allow us to operate at a whole different level. And so we all believe in that. We believe in the atom and we believe in the subatomic parts of the atom and we've never seen one, you've never tasted one, you've never felt one, you've never touched one and and yet you believe in it. 
We as a world just spent $8 billion on the Large Hadron Collider. $8 billion. And it just came online and it's supposed to be this amazing success. And I'm guessing it is. I watched a video, not of the initial uh, launch of it, but uh, one, two or three times in. And what happened is I'm watching and there's all these crowded room. And then all of a sudden, a flash of light. It just goes on and off. Not even a light bulb even. Just a quick flash. And then all of a sudden these scientists are screaming, Yeah! $8 billion! <laughs> you know. And, and you know what is is Could they see the atoms split? I mean, think about it. Could they all of a sudden it's just split and they knew it? No, 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 that isn't what happened. As a matter of fact, uh, and, and we trust this, and I think we're right to trust it, that what occurred is some events happened. Some effects happened. And that gave them a reliable reason to know they were successful in literally splitting the atom. Uh, uh, if I walked in here today and said, I, I don't believe in subatomic particles. I don't think they exist. I think it's an $8 billion for nothing. I think it's foolish. Uh, I think that anything in the atomic structure is, is meaningless. As a matter of fact, I'll prove it to you. And I take a baseball bat and I say, you see this table? If you're telling me there's atomic particles in here and they're small and, 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 and I start pounding the table and breaking it into pieces and it shatters up here and I step back and say, anybody see an atomic particle? Would that prove it doesn't exist? And if I did that and I really was serious about it, you would look at me and say, Chuck, that, that would just betray the fact that you're amazingly ignorant. Because that, that would show a lack of intelligence. That's not, how you, that's not how you look for the evidence of what's going on there. That's what I want you to think about today. Because what we're talking about is, is there's four levels of, of Christianity that we need to think through. And today we're on the exploration level. Where someone's asking, is there a God? And, and does all this make sense? And with all the religions of the world, why would Christianity stand out? And then after people explore a while, our goal is to get you to take that next step. And, 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 and where conversion takes place. And, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about today the born again process happens and, and then you go to a level of connecting with God and then you go to an ultimate level up here, level four of commitment to God. But, but a lot of people are down here. Matter of fact, surveys are showing an incredible number of people who attend church for years are down here. But, but what we're also seeing today is we're seeing a, a lot of discussion in the intellectual arena uh, about God. Now, it's interesting that some of that discussion comes from the fact that they don't want it discussed. Now, I want you to think about that because Ben Stein uh, did a movie called Expelled. And if you haven't seen the movie, I highly recommend this movie. Uh, but Ben Stein, uh, uh, his, 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 uh, his um, idea is this, that he's trying to get across. He's saying that we're at a time when there's a group of scientists who do not want to enter the debate. They do not want to enter the discussion. Even though the evidence is there, they would prefer to not have the discussion, not have the debate, not look at the evidence from all sides. And anybody that begins to talk about the fact that there really is a designer or designer, that they're immediately expelled from the process. And, and I think he does a good job of showing that. But, but if you watch the movie, you're going to notice something else. That in the movie, there's a man named Richard Dawkins. And Richard Dawkins, I would say by everybody's account, is the leading atheist in the world today. He's written books against God, one's called The God Delusion. He's attacked the whole idea of God. He said, actually said these words, he said, no intelligent person believes in God. And, and over and over and over, he's kind of making his statement about that. He's a molecular biologist who says, I'm a total atheist, not even an agnostic. 
So in the movie, when you watch the movie, you notice that whenever Dawkins speaks, he does appear to be incredibly intelligent. Whenever Dawkins speaks, what happens is he does it in a way where I, even though I would disagree with him, I would think as you watch the beginning of the movie, you would probably do this. You would say, you know what, we don't agree, but this man is very well thought out. He's very articulate. Even somewhat, he says, makes sense. But this is the point I want you to grab. He sounds good when he's on his talking points. When he gets into a conversation about his beliefs, when he gets questioned about his beliefs, does he still appear as solid? That, that's the question. And what I want to have you do is watch the end part of the movie where Ben Stein's with him. And I believe that Ben Stein's not being antagonistic. He's just calmly, of course, if you've ever heard Ben Stein, is he ever antagonistic? Uh, he's just dry. And uh, so, so what he does is he just asks this question. Well, if there is no God, how did life get here? Knowing what he knows as a molecular biologist, he says the point is it is impossible for life to spontaneously erupt. It has to have a design. Now, now, did you, don't miss that because this is literally one of the leading atheists in the world, a renowned scientist, who says life is so complex, creation is so complex, the cellular level of who we are is so complex, it is literally impossible there wasn't a designer. So who is the designer? Well, it's a civilization that exists somewhere out in the universe. Uh, aliens. And aliens came and planted life on earth and designed it to occur. And that is his better alternative than the idea that God did it. Now, now I, I got to say, I'm not trying to totally ridicule it, but let's just say this. Here's your choice. Aliens, God. I, I mean, uh, but if you go with his alien theory, you have to say that the aliens had to have someone start them who had someone start them. And then, then, then did you catch? That's what he said. And then he says this. That when you look at creation, you do see the signature of something that started it all. Now, now this is the leading atheist in the world. And when he's brought down to what can your ultimate conclusion be, he says, it's aliens. It's an alien race that started life on earth and then left us to not care about us. Maybe we're an experiment. Maybe we were somewhat, you know, we'll just see what happens. But they didn't ever care to come around and check. So your life has no meaning. My life has no meaning. We were just kind of started out and left on our own. Now, are you ready for this? The Bible says something else. The Bible says there's a God who created you. And that God created you on purpose. And he created you to have a relationship with him. And he didn't just run off and leave you. He still is trying to interact with you and have connection with you. And he wants you to know that you matter. And he wants you to know that you, 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 you have a, a love from him. And he has things that you're meant to accomplish. And, and this is the alternatives we have. Dawkins' view or the Bible's view. And I want to have you really think through today what this means. Now, now, there's a book by Dr. Leon Letterman that I just love. It's called The God Particle. And Letterman was the first scientist to lead a team to split the atom. I mean, this guy's incredibly intelligent, professor at the University of Chicago. And in the book, The God Particle, he says something pretty interesting. He says, when people walk up to him and say, how do you know you split the atom? His answer is this. He goes, because of the effects we see. And if you study anything, this is the key, if you study anything with the right perspective, using the right criteria, and the right method of analysis, then what's going to happen? You'll come out with the right conclusion at the end. You don't have to see it. You don't have to see it to know it's true because so much of what is going on all around us are things that are unseen. Letterman says, you've got to approach it correctly. 
Using the right perspective and the right criteria with the right analysis and out comes the right result. And if you ever deviate from that process, then what happens is you will not come out with the right result and you'll be wrong. You'll have wrong views of what's going on around here. He actually uses an illustration that I think is very interesting. He says, suppose that you could not see black and white when they're put together. Uh, if for some reason, whenever there's black and white, all of a sudden it's invisible to you. And then you went to a soccer game. And you're watching this soccer game. He says, the first thought you'd have is this is nothing but chaos. You're seeing a bunch of people run around the field, scattering all over, stopping, starting, bumping into each other. And you would say, what a ridiculous sight to see. But then, if you looked long enough and studied it carefully enough, you would notice there actually was a coordinated effort going on. Even plays being set up. Positions being manned. And you would notice that when a certain movement happens here, it's like there's something going on you can't see. And, and then you would all of a sudden watch and at some point in the game, there would, the net would move and you would say, something moved that net. And you would be right to assume that it wasn't chaos. There was actually something going on and there was a cause and effect and you would be able to figure out probably the size of the soccer ball, the color of the soccer ball, the position of the soccer ball, all from the evidence of something not seen. Now, now what I want you to think about now is, is when we talk about the idea of God, that's what Jesus says. Jesus said, I want you to look at this correctly. A man came to him who was a very, very learned man, a very in intelligent man named Nicodemus, the leading religious leader of his day. And he looked at Jesus, and he said, I really think there's something to what you're saying, but how do I know it's true? And Jesus tells him, you need to be born again. And next week, we're going to talk about how, what that really means. I think that's a misunderstood phrase. It, it literally means you need to be born again so you enter a personal relationship with God. But, but Jesus said, do you know how you know what I'm saying is true? Well, you look at the effects of it. Look what he says in John chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. But do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Now here's what he gets at, ready? The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. But you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. He says, Jesus said, you know what? You can't see God. You can't see the Holy Spirit. He says, but you can see the effects of it. You can see the effects of what's going on. And he says, when you look at the effects and you do it in the correct way and analyze it correctly, it'll bring about the right conclusion that God is doing something in this world around you and he wants to get your attention. By the way, uh, this whole idea of, the, of faith, faith is huge to all of us who love God. It's a loving trust in God. But what is faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 defines it this way. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. In other words, it's not a blind faith. It's not I put my mind on hold. It's that I'm going to look at things the way that I should, and I'm going to come to analyze it from the right perspective, and then I'm going to come to the right conclusion. If I took the baseball bat and started pounding on the table and going, if there's a God, he has to stop me. Well, he didn't stop me. There's no God. Again, that would be as ignorant as saying there's no atomic particle. We've got to look at it correctly. And that's what the, the calling for anybody who wants to live a quality life is. Let's look at things correctly. And so what are the evidences there is of God? If I'm down here exploring, what are some things I should look at? Let me give you number one. The Bible says, turn over to Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one. The Bible says the creation itself. The creation itself speaks of God. 
Now, you just heard in a piece of it, but let me give you some background. Uh, uh, Richard Dawkins, again, a very acclaimed scientist, says, life is so complex, there's no way it happened by accident. Now, even though he's an atheist and he believes in Darwinian evolution, he says that life is so complex, there's no way there wasn't a designer. It would be literally impossible to believe that knowing what we know today. Darwin, in his day, was tracing everything back to something, and all of you who have studied this know, that, that he said that we're looking for a simple, single cell. Let me ask you a question. Is any cell simple? Is any cell simple? Well, well there's a galaxy of things going on in a cell. Before we look at that, I want you to look at Romans 1. Look what it says in verse 20. For since the creation of the world... His, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. God says, you know what? If you study creation, if you watch the soccer game, you're going to see something's there. If you look at creation, you're going to see a fingerprint is there. Even Dawkins said, if you studied right and correctly, you're going to see a signature there. And God says, guess whose signature it is? It's mine. It's a God who loves you, a God who cares about you, a God who designed you on purpose. He said it's there. And when we begin to look at the mass of, uh, nature of the galaxy and the universe, we step back and say, wait a minute, something created this. By the way, Dawkins' aliens could not have created the universe, right? Uh, and we're saying we know what began it all. And, and that's a pretty bold statement. But now you're ready for this when we go on the molecular level. And you look at what's going on in a cell. It's a vast universe of what's occurring. I want to have you watch this. Again, this is from Expel. What you're about to see is a computer-generated model of what happens over and over and over in a millisecond of time in a cell to make a cell function correctly. You've got to ask, within the complexity of it all, where did the designer come from? And then I think, without a doubt, you've got to, got to look and say, there's one option is to say it's all an accident, but the other is to say, with the complexity that's here, there's a purpose. And you have a purpose. And so God says, if you really want to start finding out about me, look at creation, and you see my handprint there. And by the way, you may not get into this, but I'm going to tell you for me, a part of what grabs me when it comes to the issue of creation is the beauty of creation. When I walk outside and I look at those mountains and I see how gorgeous they are, I don't walk out and say, whoa, what an amazing accident. You know, those three times of the year, it's clear enough to see them. I, uh, I, I look at them and I say, man, I, and I love those moments in time. And, and when I see something uh, as incredible as a baby, and I hold a baby in my arms, or I was sitting in a theater, a small theater, looking at a, a 4D uh, ultrasound of my grandson, in, in my, my daughter-in-law's womb, and he's moving and yawning and touching himself. And I know that right now he can hear me. He can hear my voice. He can imprint to who I am. I just get moved by that. Matter of fact, last week I got blessed. Two different families had brought their babies to the church for the first time. But because their children have sat in so many sermons, uh, uh, and I know I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, um, the kids, when they hear my voice, they react to me. And I got to hold them both, and I talked to them, and they cuddled up. They, they had heard me in their womb. Now, is that an accident? It, it, or is there something created there that we are created to be relational? We are created to, to touch. And beauty, the beauty of creation itself. You know, and when I look at you, when I look at you, and I'm not in a hurry and stop, and I look at every one of you, you know what I see? I see a creation of God. And God says, you even see someone created in my image. And, 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 and we step back and say, wow, there's value to this. 
And so God says, you're not, you don't have any excuse at all if you look at creation and you don't see me. The, the famous quote from Bertrand Russell, where he was asked, well, what are you going to do if you die and get to heaven and there is a God to judge you? He said, I'll look at him and say, sir, you should have given me more evidence. Whoa, we already got a lot of evidence. The question is, are we analyzing it correctly with the right criteria and right perspective? And the Bible says, if you do that with the right perspective, God says, you're going to find me. You're going to find me. There's another way we find God. Look up at verses 18 and 19 of Romans chapter 1 and look what God says here. It's not only in creation, it's also in conscience. You're the fact you have a conscience. Now, before I read it, let me ask you this question. Have you ever thought about why you have a conscience? What it's for? How did it get there? Why is it we all have them? And they come into a, an amazing similarity of agreement. Look what it says in Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. God says, I get angry at anybody that doesn't want to look at the truth. That doesn't want to tune into it. By the way, that's why even in the church, we don't want to suppress truth. Let's let truth out there. Uh, we want to look at it. And then God says this in verse 19, because, why does he get angry at suppressing the truth? Because that which is known about God is evident within them. Evident within them. For God made it evident to them. God says inside who you are, he has made it evident that he exists. So if I look at the outer creation, I see the evidence of God. And I look at my conscience, I see an evidence of God. And when I, I think that something's wrong and I do it and all of a sudden I twinge inside, that's an evidence that there's a God who created morality and gave you the gift of it. When I do that loving thing and I'm taken to a whole depth of being I can't even imagine, God says, look at where that came from. It didn't just happen by accident. I designed you to be a person of love and communication and relationship. Don't miss this one. You ready? If you think that your life should have meaning, where did that come from? Don't, don't you understand that God designed you to live a meaningful, significant life? And when you begin to understand not only you have a desire for meaning, but people around you have a desire for meaning. And when someone doesn't live their life in a meaningful way, what do we say? How sad. Why? Because in our conscience, there's something that's tuning in. Now, now I want you to know this is not as subjective as you might first think. You might say, well, that's a pretty subjective statement. Well, I want to tell you that science today is actually taking it away from the realm of subjectivity into some very objective studies that we need to think about. And Dr. Dean Hammer wrote a book called The God Gene. Now, The God Gene, by the way, is written by Dr. Hammer, who's a geneticist, the first man to clearly and be attributed with mapping the DNA molecule. And Dr. Hammer says this, as surely as I can tell you, as a part of your DNA, where it is that your eye color is determined, whether they're brown, blue, or whatever. He says, I just as surely now have isolated an area that causes you to be spiritual. He said it's in your DNA. Now, now, how did he see do that? Did, is it because he looked at a DNA molecule and do it? No, he couldn't do that with eye color either. It's because he can see the effects of it. And then he starts going into study after study after study that shows when someone connects to God, that things physically change and happen in us. And, and Dr. Hammer, who, by the way, does not claim to be a Christian, says that there are literal, actual results. The soccer game happens. The net moves. And when you step back and look at the evidence, he says there are people not only that are made to connect with God, but they're in connection with God. 
What happens? Our brain function changes. When someone enters a connection with God, our brain starts operating at a higher level with, with more activity than ever, and they can actually quantify this. You ready for this? The immune system reaches the peak level of efficiency. One of the reasons we think healing happens is just when we begin to connect with God correctly, your immune system operates the way it's supposed to in a more efficient level. Your body becomes more sensitive. You're more sensitive to touch, sensitive to sight, sensitive to sound, and sensitive to affection. Now, how about this? The pleasure center kicks in. The pleasure center of your brain stops to operate when you're in connection with God. Why is that important? Well, listen to what it says in Psalm 16, verse 11. It says, you, God, will make me know the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever. Well, you know what science has told us when someone enters a quality connected prayer time with God, the pleasure center activates. Now, maybe our outward circumstances don't change, but joy begins to erupt. And, and, and science has been finding what the Bible has always said to be true. You were created for this, and there are even ways to look at it. And if we examine the criteria correctly, we step back and say, wait a minute, we weren't an accident. We weren't, I believe, an alien race going down and designing something and taking off and letting it run its course. You were created with a purpose to who you are. You have value and you matter. And I think the evidence shows that you do. The evidence shows you do without and within in every way possible. That's why, by the way, in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says this. God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. The Bible boldly says that there is a purpose to your life and God created you to fulfill a purpose and you need to know that, a good one. And then it goes on to say, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Now, now don't miss this. I, I hope you hang to this part here. God says, if you search for me, you'll find me. If you will honestly, in an intelligent way, examine the evidence, God says, you're going to find me. If you really will put yourself to trying to do that. Now, Peter Kreeft is the head of philosophy for Boston University. He's a famous philosopher. Uh, one of my favorite philosophy writers today is Peter Kreeft. And Peter Kreeft wrote a book called Christianity for Modern Pagans. And I want you to listen to what he says when he gets into this very issue. Uh, on page 29, he said this. The point... And get ready for his point. The point that atheism's origin is not intellectual, but volitional and moral. I want to stop there real quick. He says, here's the point you got to understand. If you're an atheist, it's, it's not an intellectual choice. If you're an atheist, it's a moral choice. It's a choice you made, and it's a moral choice you made. Not an intellectual choice. The, the intellectual evidence does not bear out atheism. And he says, we've got to understand that. But then he goes to something deeper from the area of philosophy. Listen to what he says. The point follows from Christ's promise that all who seek God will find him. For unless this promise is a lie and Christ is a liar, there can only be two causes for not having found God. That is for unbelief. Number one, you're not seeking him. Or number two, time. For eventually, however long the delay, everyone who seeks God finds him. Now, now I want you to think about that. 
in this room today are people who know God. There's room today are people who are wondering about God and, and wondering about being in connection with him and you're exploring down here and our goal is to get you to take the step called conversion where you enter into that born again state and then eventually you take the next step in connection and growing in a connected relationship and then you get up here in all out commitment which is what majority of our Sundays will be about. But, but, but here's this point. He says the reason many people haven't reached this place is either number one, they aren't really exploring. They aren't really looking. They aren't really delving into something so important about who they are. The second reason is they just haven't had enough time to find it out. Because if anybody looks, if anybody examines, and you really do it with all your heart, God says, I won't hide from you. You'll find me. You'll find me. And, and by the way, Blaise Pascal talked about this too. And it's quoted in his book, uh, uh, Christianity for Modern Pagans, on page one, or actually 211. It says this, Pascal said, there are only three sorts of people. Those who have found God and serve him, number one. Number two, those who are busy keeping, uh, seeking him and have not found him. Or number three, those who live without either seeking or finding him. He says the first group, the ones who have found God and know him, says the first group are reasonable people and happy. The last group, the ones who don't even care to look, are foolish and unhappy. But those in the middle are unhappy and yet reasonable. Why? Because one day they'll be happy. Uh, uh, Pascal, the, one of the famous philosophers and scientists of all time, said when people find God, they find the meaning for life. They find what matters. They find what happens. And, 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 and actually, Peter Kreef says that deep down, he believes this with all his heart. Instinctively, you know it's true. He said when he examines it all, and he's doing this, by the way, from the realm of philosophy, looking at philosophy, he goes, instinctively, we know there's something there. Even the one who says he doesn't believe it, why would he fight against something that doesn't exist? And he says the bottom line is, is that outside of us, the creation of God reveals that there's a God. Inside of you, God's revealing he's, there's a God. And his great desire is for you to know him and to love him. And so we have the creation and you have your conscience. And your conscience was made to tune into God. See, that's why God gave it to you. God gave your conscience so you would tune into him. God gave your conscience so you would be aware of who he is. All around this room right now, all around this room, there are things happening. There, there, there are, are people talking. There are people saying kind things, people laughing, people saying mean things. All around this room are, 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 are amazing images that are floating around here. And, and the only reason you and I can't see them is because we don't tune into them. Uh, in about, well, actually right now. Right now, if you were not here and I wasn't going so long, <laughs> uh, you could be at home watching the Arizona Cardinals play the Philadelphia Eagles. And, uh, and right now, that's floating through the room. And, there's, you know, and it's just going through here. And if you said, I don't see it, I don't believe there's a football game being shown in here, you would be wrong because there is something happening. And what you've just got to do is tune in. So let me challenge you about this. Have you tuned in? You see, well, you go, oh, you know, I just, I tried to listen. I don't get anything. Well, you know what? Maybe you got to turn, turn the channel a little bit. You got to fine tune what's going on. You have to look with a little bit better perspective. And God says, if you start turning the dial a little of your conscience and really listening for me, you're going to find me. God says that's going to be true. And so he says, you know what? Look at creation and look at your conscience. But you ready for this? The most important place to look is Christ. Look at Jesus. Jesus made some amazingly bold claims. His followers made even bolder claims. 
And you've got to ask, why is all of history changed by this one man? Why is it? Is it he just happened to show up at the right time and we perpetuated a mythology? I just really have a hard time with that one. Some might believe it. But the bottom line is you begin to look at who Jesus is and what he said and what he sought to accomplish in life. And you're ready for this? Don't miss this. The effect that happens when someone embraces Christ, that changed life, in, in, in concert with him, and, and, and something occurs. See, in Colossians 1.15, it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you want to really find out who God is, the Bible says, look at Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, it says that the glory of Christ is the image of God. And when you want to find out about God, you look at Jesus. And then in John chapter 1, some amazing words start out that book. It says, in the beginning was the word, the logic, the logos of God. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, now, you ready for this? Did you catch what it says? It says, when you start understanding who Jesus is, you understand, number one, he created all this. And he created it for himself. In other words, your choice here, aliens who made us and took off, or Jesus who said, I created you with a purpose and I created you with reason. I created you to battle your life. I created you to have something imaginably incredible and going on. And, and it says, he created this. Then it says that when we embrace him, he becomes the light inside us. He tunes us in. He shines out of us. Things change. And we start functioning at a whole different level. It says that's what Jesus does when you embrace him. And so Jesus said this. He, he's in John 14, verse 6. He said, I am the way the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And then he said, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And later Philip would go, but we don't get it. And he says, Philip, have I been here? Don't you get it? I am in the Father, and the Father's in me. He said, if you want to know if there's a God, look at me. But notice this. Did you, I, I actually misquoted that. Did you catch? I, I blew it. I'm sorry I even did. He didn't say, if you want to know if there's a God, he said, if you want to know if there's a father who loves you. You see, when we begin to study what this says, what Jesus said, he says, I'm the evidence that God loves you, cares about you, and wants an intimate, connected relationship with you where you would be his child. You know, God isn't out there going, I am the God, bow and worship me. He says, come and be loved by me. Come and know me. Come and know who you were meant to be. Come and experience life in an incredible way. And, and, and you know what? Is, is if you really look at this and explore it, we believe, all of us believe, we would love to, to, to work through that with you so that you can come what we believe is the right conclusion based on the right perspective to the right criteria analyzed correctly. And, and we believe you step back and see it. Now, now, we're not afraid of someone doing that. But I want to say a couple things about it. Number one, Blaise Pascal said this. He said, if you really want to know if it's true, he says, what you need to do is analyze the evidence, come to a conclusion, and then he says, you need to take a look at God, and you need to throw yourself into the arms of God. You need to throw yourself in wholeheartedly. You need to say, God, if you're there, I'm going to come, and I'm going to give myself to you, and I'm going to start seeking you with all I have, and I'm going to live my life for you, and seek to live my life with you. And Pascal says, when you do that, you'll come to know God. He really believed it with all his heart. And that's why he called it, they call it Pascal's wager. Throw yourself in completely, 
And if God's there, you're going to find out if it's true. If God's not there, you're going to find out it's not. He says, but take a shot. Do it with everything you have. By the way, he doesn't say just kind of try. He says, you've got to give it everything you've got. Then Pascal says this. If you throw yourself into it and God's not there, well, the worst that happens is you're a more loving person, you have a better marriage, you're a better father, you're honest, you, you forgive those who forgive you and you get rid of your grudges and, and you have purpose in your life. He says, well, you haven't lost a whole lot if you try that, right? But then he says, if you don't try and there is a God, that, 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 that asks, the outcome of that's horrible. Soren Kierkegaard, who is probably my favorite philosopher, said this, he said that you need to take a leap of faith. You've heard that term, leap of faith. But don't miss what Kierkegaard was saying. He says, you stand on the mountain of evidence, the mountain of evidence, and at some point you reach out and say, God, intellectually I know you're there, but it's time for relationally. And I'm going to leap out and grab hold of you. And I'm going to throw myself into a relationship with you. See, if you, you asked me this question, do you really believe, Chuck, with all your heart that your wife Pam exists and is real? I could give you all the evidences for it. I could tell you, well, you know what? I find hair from her in our bathroom. I, uh, I, I pay bills that she charges up. Uh, I got in trouble recently, and I'm paying the price for that. It's on my blog if you want to read about it. I'm in the doghouse. Um, but you know what? The love, the care, all that's there. But you know, I could tell you that Pam intellectually is there, but there was a point in our lives where we threw ourselves into a relationship relationally. And I made a commitment to her and she made a commitment to me and man, life has found meaning like I can't tell you. I have someone to laugh with, to cry with. I have someone we set goals and we rejoice when they're reached and, and, and we get around each other when we've blown it. And by the way, this week I did make some mistakes and missteps and she came alongside and said, I know you better than that. And uh, there was a point I had to take the leap and she had to take the leap. And man, am I glad in that situation I did. And I can tell you even far more, she and I agree, we're so glad we did it with God. And, and if you're exploring, we would love to have you keep exploring with us. But today, if you're ready to take the next step and go to the area of conversion, it's time for some of you. And uh, my prayer is in a moment, you're going to do that. Now, how do you... How do you move from here? You actually talk to God. You pray to God and you tell him, I want to commit my life to you. I'm ready to connect with you at a deeper level. And I want to be who you created me to be. And I want to live the life you have for me to live. And so I'm opening up to you. Cleanse me of my failures. Help me be yours completely. And, and I do this, Jesus, trusting you with what I'm about to do. I'm all in. And in a moment, I'm going to lead a prayer. I'm going to lead a prayer. And if you feel God calling you to, right where you're sitting, I'm going to ask you to whisper those very words with me. I'm going to ask you to say to God that. And I'll just pray a line and let you pray with me. So today, if you need to take that step for the first time, then our hope is God's going to stir and you're going to do it. Now, you ready for this? If, if you at one time did, you started moving along this way, but you've lost connection with him. You'd say, you know, I did. I, I made the commitment, but I, I haven't carried out completely. I'm not in an intimate, connected relationship with him. If that would describe you, then let me tell you what you need to do. Pray the prayer again with me. It'll call out to him. You know, it, it, say, God, I want to recommit to this. And uh, in that moment, God's going to take you and love you more than ever. Let's go to God right now. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that I really believe with all my heart that we've come to a right conclusion. Because the creation, Lord, the vastness of it all throughout the galaxy, the amazing beauty and complexity of it within even a cell, and the atomic particle, 
God, we believe we've spotted a signature from you. And it's a signature not just that you created this in us. It's a signature that says you did it for a reason and a purpose so that we would enter a relationship with you. And I pray today that we would understand within our conscience, within our creation, within Christ, we could see you. And I pray right now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would enter this room. God, I ask that you start to move. And Lord, I pray you would just literally stir and touch on anyone here today who needs to commit or recommit their life to you. Father, I pray for men who are in this room today who, Lord, they have so much that they should be living for, so much that they were made to accomplish. And, and that missing piece, that missing ingredient is that they've been moving in the wrong direction with the wrong priorities. And now it's time for them to open up to you and move with you. And Lord, I pray they want your cleansing. I pray they want your love. I pray they want, Lord, this amazing life you have for them. I pray you'd stir and touch them. And Lord, I pray today for women who are here that, Lord, you just want them to know what love really is. And Lord, I pray you'd open their heart to the fact of how much they matter and how beautiful they are in your sight. And God, how you want to draw them so close to you. And there's so many amazing joys. There's so many amazing victories. There's so many amazing things to experience with you. And you want to reach and take them as your daughters now. So Lord, we ask that you stir. We ask that you touch. We ask that people would commit or recommit to you. I want to ask that we keep praying. And right now, if you're right with God, would you pray for those who need to make this commitment? But I'm going to lead that prayer. I'm going to lead a prayer and ask people right where they're at to whisper a prayer and commit their life to Christ with me right where you're sitting. But before I do that, I want to ask this. If you would pray that prayer with me, would you let me know you're going to do it by lifting your hand in the air and looking at me and then you can put it down. Is today God touching, calling anybody right now and this is your moment and you're going to do this with him, and this is your commitment time. Praise God for you. That is awesome. And for you over here, praise God. That is incredible. It really is. And up here, praise the Lord for you, way, way up there. Praise God. I know it's a big building, so let me take some time. If you haven't lifted your hand yet, I haven't seen you, just lift your hand where I can see. If this is your moment, this is your time, God's calling you. Praise God. Wow, that's awesome. Right here for you too. Way, way, way up there. Praise God for you. Wow. And right over here, praise God for you here in the middle. Wow, praise the Lord. And right over here, praise God for you and for you over here too. Wow, praise the Lord. Okay, all over the building there, well, way up here, praise the Lord for you. All over the building there are people being touched. And I just want to ask you right now, let's just pray this prayer together. Say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts, to make me alive, to make me new, and to make me yours. And I say, yes, I want this. And I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me be who you have always created me to be. And help me live the life you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, praise God.